Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week, Season 3. I'm Sophia Kanthara, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hello. And Alex Wilhelm. Hey guys. We've got another special episode for you all this holiday week. We'll be highlighting our favorite startups that we featured this season. Postmates, Nurks, and Asana were three that Alex, Owen, and I found really interesting, and we're going to throw it back to the episodes where we talked about them. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. Up first, we have Alex's favorite startup from this season. Alex, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I picked Postmates, which we talked about back on October 1st, I believe. And the reason why it hit our radar was that Postmates had raised a $300 million uh, Series E. And for people who kind of forget, Postmates is one of the earlier or kind of middle entries into the world of delivery uh, back before Uber Eats came up. And I think people like myself who are pessimists were concerned that maybe Uber would kind of decimate the space. But instead, Postmates raised and uh, is doing apparently quite well. And just for a little bit more color, there's been a lot of movement in and around the delivery space just recently. Um, so, for example, um, a South Korean company called uh, Wuwa Brothers raised $320 million in December. Um, we've seen Delivery Hero divest its uh, German business to a Dutch rival also in December. And in December, Swiggy, uh, which is an India-based food delivery startup, raised a billion dollars. So Postmates' round was notable, uh, but not alone in its space. So let's take a look at what we talked about back then. So our last startup of the week is, you've probably all heard of this, Postmates. I thought it was pronounced Postmates. Have I been saying it wrong this whole time? You've been saying it wrong on purpose this whole time, but it's okay. We can move along. This is this is why the delivery people are so confused when they show up at my door. Yes, when he says, "Are you from Postmates?" <laughs> They're confused. Well, I'm trying to make it a thing. Um, well, so what happened to Postmates? So Postmates um, raised 300 million in another round of funding, um, led by Tiger Global Capital. And Tiger is one of those outfits that you see investing in a lot of kind of late stage startups, kind of beefing up their funding with big, big chunks of money. They don't play, you know, they don't play in that early, early round like, uh, you know, like most Silicon Valley venture capital firms. Yeah. And so Postmates has been, you know, expanding. They recently launched a a subscription service where you can pay a monthly fee to have, you know, free delivery, uh, unlimited free delivery over the course of the month. That is dangerous. Dangerous. I'm curious to see how that plays out. It reminded me a little bit about. I like, mean, it's great for Postmates. It's dangerous <laughs> for you customers because you're going to sign up for it and get addicted to Postmates. Uh huh. It reminded me a little bit of like you know um, Amazon Amazon's Prime Pantry kind of subscription service where you can get unlimited deliveries, but um, faster because here you know Prime Pantry, although it is fast, you know with Postmates it's someone's bringing it to you that same day within hours. So. Well, that said, Amazon does have a directly competitive restaurant delivery service, and mm-hmm. there's DoorDash, and there's Grubhub, and, and, and there there are well, so Uber many eats. Uber Eats. Critically. Yeah. I mean, but here's what's fascinating about this round. If you go back in time to September of 2016, uh, Postmates announced a $140 million, I think it was a Series D, somewhere, somewhere around there, and they said how hard it was to raise that round, because that was right when the kind of the bloom had come off these delivery startups. People were worried about unit economics and, and growth. And competition and so they had to raise for a long period of time to put together that that large round and here they are raising an even larger round from a kind of a high tier investor so my my question is did they kind of prove out a lot of the stuff that was more in doubt two years ago and if so you know more power to them because they're going up against uber 
And at least in, you know, in the Silicon Valley world, that is one of the biggest uh, competitors you can possibly go up against. So I'm very impressed by this capital infusion. It speaks, I think, well uh, for the company's progress since that 2016 round. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. Well, I, you know, I think Postmates is very focused on just delivery. Um, whereas Uber Eats, part of the idea of Uber Eats is that Uber has this, you know, has these relationships with drivers and drivers when they're not shuttling around passengers can shuttle around food. But the Uber Eats model tends to be um, like curbside delivery. You have to run down and get it. Postmates is much more about get it to your door. They use cars. They use bikes. They even have walking couriers downtown because especially uh, in a week like this, it's, uh, you know. Uh, you don't right want to be driving. <laughs> right. Right now it's Dreamforce. Uh, the, uh, the transit center in San Francisco is closed. So those walking couriers uh, can make deliveries very effectively, especially to downtown offices, whereas Uber Eats drivers are stuck in traffic and can't do anything. Um, so I think they might. I think they just have a superior delivery model to Uber Eats. But I worry about DoorDash, which really feels like almost a clone of Postmates. Mm-hmm. And DoorDash has raised a lot of money. Um, Alex, have you looked into how much that total is? Maybe you can come back to us in a no, bit with I, I'm that number. No, I'm as we speak. So, Owen, oh, yes, I can tell you. In fact, here we go. Uh, most recently, in August of 2018, DoorDash raised another quarter million dollars. But what really matters more is in March of this year, they raised, I'm sorry, this is really funny, $535 million in a round led by the Vision Fund of SoftBank. So um, that's an enormous amount of capital that went to DoorDash. And then Postmates added another $300 million. So if I do my sums correctly, that's more than a billion dollars across three rounds to the combined Postmates DoorDash sector. Two, that's a, that's two a San Francisco delivery companies. Yes, um, two, oh, that, SF-based for sure. Yeah, and um, you know, and then you have uh, Grubhub of Chicago, um, which is um, you know, Grubhub is more of an order trafficker. You know, they send uh, they send restaurants orders, and more typically, as I understand it, the restaurants then handle the delivery themselves. Though I think that um, that model may be, may be shifting to a bit more of the Postmates, DoorDash um, style model of you know handling all the delivery. But there's a ton of money here. Now, the biggest irony I find in talking about the the uh, food delivery space, though, is you know who's the, the biggest player of all? Who? Domino's. Really? Pizza is the biggest category in, uh, oh, I in food that. delivery. I believe that, yeah. And it's bigger than any of these, um, you know, it's bigger than any, any of these kind of restaurant meal delivery startups. So just... Mull that for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, that's true. I think in every city but San Francisco, I believe burritos would be the most popular delivery item here in the uh, city by the bay. Or at least if it's not, I hope I hope we can change that because SF burritos are good. SF pizza is, you know, it's fine. But <laughs> now, it's not like New York. Now, my question would be, will Postmates use this new money to buy the boring company from Elon Musk? And create the long-awaited San Francisco Brooklyn Burrito Tunnel. Um, <laughs> if they don't, can we sue? Come on. So the CEO of Postmates, if I recall correctly, is Bastian. Bastian, if you hear this, you heard Owen. Get on it. I think, I think that is a great use of your new three hundred million, Basti. So <laughs> burrito tunnel from San Francisco to Brooklyn. It, it's worth it for the branding boost alone. <laughs> Oh my gosh, they could use one of those hyperloops idea. to send burritos. <laughs> Hyper, it's a burrito hyperloop. You there heard you it here on Startups of the Week. Funding secured. All right. Funding <laughs> secured. 
Well, I hope you all enjoyed my alternative pronunciation of Postmates. That was not very popular with Alex or Sophia at the time. (laughs) But uh, Sophia, you had a favorite startup from the season. What was it? I did. So my favorite from the season was NERCS, which we featured just a couple weeks ago. Um, so NERCS, the reason we wrote about them, they are a telemedicine company, which they're known for doing delivery of birth control and PrEP, the HIV prevention medicine. And the reason we wrote, wrote about them back then was because um, they had recently expanded their service into Alabama and added a former Surgeon General to their board, which also includes Chelsea Clinton. Um, I thought they were really fascinating because telemedicine is growing. And, you know, a lot of times we feature a lot of tech companies um, that are, you know, doing, you know, cloud storage and cybersecurity. They're they're solving, you know, first world problems for San Francisco millennials. Absolutely. Who can't do their own laundry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, NERCS provides a service that is, you know, very needed, you know, or preventative. It's a preventative medicine kind of service. Um, so I thought it was fascinating. I thought they were doing, you know, good in the world. And it looks like they're doing big things. So um, let's throw it back to the episode where we talked about them. I'll be the token woman for NERCs. So I guess, Alex, you're the <laughs> only one who isn't contributing. To yeah, you, you're useless. <laughs> you can you can do prep. Yeah, I go. Yeah. I just want to point out that uh, I usually feel useless. So this is okay. This is not a shocking change of affairs for me. It's a telemedicine company, um, but they're known for shipping birth control and prep straight to patients' homes. Uh, and that's spelled N-U-R-X. So it's kind of like new R-X or new oh, prescription. I didn't get that. I was like, why is it called NERCS? That's oh, I ter- didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they right. did not explain that to me on my call. I, I'm, I'm picking up what they're putting down. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so NERCS uh, obviously is about prescriptions, but very specific kinds of prescriptions. Yes. Right, um, yeah. And so also the reason that they're trending this week is because they recently expanded into Alabama. Um, and also they added a new member to their board. Um, she's a former Surgeon General um, oh. of the U.S., Dr. Regina Benjamin. Um, they also have Chelsea Clinton on their board as well. So got a pretty high profile board there. But um, yeah, so basically how it works is their telemedicine company where you can input on the app like your photo and your photo ID um, and answer a few questions for your doctor. So if it's for birth control, one of the most important things that you answer is, you know, your blood pressure. And then a physician will will review it and then can write a prescription and have that sent straight to your home. Um, For birth control with insurance, it's typically free. And without insurance, it's about $15. Um, And they'll, you know, do that every month. And they also, so they do birth control and they also do PrEP, which is the um, HIV prevention um, medicine. And for that, it's a little bit different where, you do have to, they'll send you like a kit, like an at home kind of testing kit where you have to provide like a small blood sample um, that they'll do some screening for and then they'll, you know, ship you the pills. So PrEP, by the way, has revolutionized gay dating. Um, it's, <laughs> it is for sexually active uh, individuals. They can be gay, straight, you know, men, women. But it, the idea is um, this medicine greatly reduces uh, the chance that, um, that you'll get an HIV infection if, you know, a condom breaks or something of that sort. And it's really recommended because, you know, whatever the cost of PrEP is, it's so much less than the cost of treating HIV. Absolutely. And um, with their expansion this week into for on the birth control side, um, they are re- they were telling me when I was talking to the CEO, they're really focusing on 
expanding in the South. Um, and so Alabama just happened to be first up on the roadmap because their new board member is an Alabama native. Um, but they're really focusing on the South just because of in Alabama, the number of um, unplanned pregnancies ha- is higher than in other places. And um, just in the South, they're saying because of it is more rural and concerns there, about being... There's poor access. Yeah, to... there's less access to birth control there. And also he mentioned, you know, part of like the cultural function of it, you know, people aren't as comfortable talking to their doctor about mm. getting these medicines. So this is to eliminate kind of all of that. And um, yeah, just bring more access to birth control and prep in that area. Well, here is Tech doing something good. And uh, this week we didn't actually highlight a scooter company. I feel like all these companies do useful things. Mm -hmm. And so this has been one of the more uh, edifying episodes of this show because it was all companies that are reasonable and good. I like that. I I will say one other observation I'd make with two kind of healthcare companies is that the infrastructure for delivering healthcare services is getting a lot better. It used to be that you just could not do healthcare uh, online. You know, doctors would not cooperate with it. And mm-hmm. you do need doctors in, you know, in all of these equations. There's a doctor on the other side writing the writing the prescription or giving you answers if we're talking about the health loop app. And I think that we see companies like Salesforce or Box making their uh, making their offerings or infrastructure compliant with healthcare privacy laws like HIPAA. And um, you know, while I don't know if those companies are involved with these particular Solutions, I, I think that we just see a flowering of these types of companies because we've kind of gotten there as an in- industry. To, to make that a little bit simpler, Owen, you mean that people that do CRM or cloud storage, they've built their products so that you can use them now in these environments using yes, healthcare absolutely. data, making it a bit more plug and play to build companies that do stuff in the healthcare space because the technology backend has been kind of kind of built for them, if you will. Right, because before you would have to roll your own or you know or you'd run into kind of you know regulatory problems and get shut down. And now it's now it's much more easy to kind of use the same things that other startups do to get up and, you know, to get up and operating very quickly. Yeah, I, I like that. Also, I think groups like One Medical were pretty useful in changing people's views about what medicine should and can be and raise expectations for this sort of thing to help flower. Now, it's just kind of one example in Owen's point, but I, I definitely agree with that. All right. So I may not have been the most relevant to that discussion, but something that we all deal with here on this show and uh, around the Bay Area is work and the future thereof. And that brings us actually to Owen Selection, which is a company that just came up recently, but really caught all of our eyes. So Owen, uh, what's going on? Well, this is a company called Asana. Uh, Alex, you may remember uh, you and I both attended a, a big launch event for, was it Asana 2.0 or 3.0? They've been around a while. Oh, but yeah. They have yeah, for a long time. They have uh, really been kind of continuously refining their product. I think what's interesting about Asana is that a lot of work innovations are kind of interrupt driven. It's about keeping you synced up in real time and, you know, keeping you busy and on call uh, to deal with things moment by moment. Asana tries to take a more Zen approach to work and um, they actually bring in uh, yoga teachers to the office for, for lessons. And the idea is that you can keep synced up about the status of projects without getting pinged all the time with messages. And I think it's just a uh, an interesting, different approach to solving the problem of managing teams. So let's hear what we had to say. 
So up next, we have Asana, which um, is we're talking about them this week because they received a new round of funding, their Series E, $50 million. Um, and Asana is basically a work management tool where a lot of different companies from Airbnb, um, Uber, but also places like Air France use them um, to be able to track progress on projects and that kind of thing. Um, so they have two relatively new products, which is their timeline and also their portfolio um, so that managers can track project progress. Um, so with the portfolio, you can actually monitor how teams are doing. Um, and I spoke with their COO this week, and they actually have a pretty interesting story of how they how they started. Um, so they were founded by actually one of the Facebook co-founders, Dustin Moskovitz. Um, and how it came about is when Facebook was in their early days, um, they were spending so much time, uh, the CEO was telling me, like figuring out who's doing what and trying to delegate stuff, that they're spending more time on that than actually building the product. So they had to create something to kind of delegate all these tasks and make coordination a lot easier. So that's where the idea of this comes from. Yeah, so Dustin Moskovitz and Justin Rosenstein, mm -hmm. the two founders, are both uh, ex-Facebook. Mm -hmm. And this, for them, is kind of a second, second success, which is rare in the startup world. It's hard to have two projects that you were early or founding on do this well. Um, I want to point out, this is their second round this year. They raised, in January of this year, their Series D, which is $75 million. So now they've raised $125 million dollars in 2018. Uh, are they packing up for like a winter? What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people are concerned about what the market is going to look like. Um, you know, if it's, if they are not, you know, kind of near a IPO stage, uh, I could certainly see them wanting to make sure they just have enough cash to kind of last. And these, you know, these subscription software businesses, Alex, I know you've done a lot of modeling around how these businesses work. But um, basically, they you know they kind of require cash upfront to acquire customers. Then you hook them because what happens is you've trained all your employees, you've developed kind of internal conventions and systems around the software, and sure you could in theory drop it and you know um, switch to someone else. But the forget the you know it's it's easy to just turn off the subscription and sign up for something else like you know, financially, but the human cost of switching once you've kind of geared your work around a certain way of doing things is very high. Especially mm -hmm. for products like this that are designed to get into your workflow and design how your teams function. Like the idea of using Asana, as far as I can tell, is having much more efficient productivity in a company, mm -hmm. uh, better and maybe less communication, but just stronger communication. You can't take that out and then expect everyone to use Slack the next day or whatever you throw in there and have it go as well. You build the DNA around the tools you use. This is actually made so people, well, not so people wouldn't be using Slack, but so people aren't getting constantly pinged and stuff that like it's trying to consolidate everything so that you don't have to have more communication so that you know exactly what your team is is looking is yeah to do. there's you know I actually have some experience using Asana at a prior publication and it's really good for um, it's not good for say editorial workflow where you're just moving very quickly from a draft to an edit to publish uh, but it is good for like kind of project management so the our business side to handle advertising sales for example would kind of figure out, okay, we need to get the order in, and we need to get the specs, and we need to get the creative, and then someone needs to package that all together and upload them to the ad server. And, you know, it's like when you get to a certain number of steps and a certain number of dependencies and assets and interactions and all that, you need something to keep track of it. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's all kinds of project management software out there. 
Uh, I think Asana just um, Asana kind of hit a moment. I think the Facebook pedigree is good because people think of Facebook as you know the move fast and break things company. It, I, I could see how they would want to de-emphasize the Facebook pedigree <laughs> now. It's but, been a rough couple of months. Yeah, but you know there was a time when like the idea of why don't you do things the way Facebook does um, had a certain appeal. I think now they're probably. I think now they're probably emphasizing more the business benefits when they're signing up a customer like Air France. It's really just like, this is what this is going to do for your business. Yeah. And also, they're doing very well financially. So the company released a chart around this funding event. They announced their new valuation, $1.5 billion, and they released an excellent chart that doesn't have a y-axis for revenue. So we can see the revenue going up quickly, but there's no <laughs> check, you know, check marks to show you what, uh, what it's at. But I can say, eyeballing this chart a little bit, that in the last kind of like year it's gone up by like 40 percent maybe more go for it so that's actually very interesting that you say 40 percent because um this is a different number or this is different but they're uh with this new funding part of what they want to do with it is expand internationally and so what they're telling me was for the past year and a half they have been focusing on this international expansion because about a year and a half ago they realized that about 40 percent of their revenue was coming from internationally without any focus on it and he was like that's kind of unheard of without you know putting any like focus on that for revenue to be that high internationally. So now they're trying to grow that and they're opening up, they're planning on opening up an EU data center in Frankfurt actually in the first half of 2019. Can I just quickly caveat what I just said? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm bad at reading charts that don't have numbers on them. I would go ahead and say 80% in the last year now that I look at the CN. <laughs> so it was a great segue by accident, but I don't want to be uh, misrepresenting uh, their growth. I, it's mm-hmm. much higher than 40%. 40% growth for a company at this stage that's a recurring business model would be quite slow. Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's it's much faster than that. Don't worry, listeners, I promise. <laughs> That segment was from our episode on December 9th. And that's actually all we have for this episode and also for this season. Um, so thank you all for listening for you know the past couple months for season three of Startups of the Week. And we'll see you in the new year. Startups of the Week is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow us on Twitter at Tech Chronicle and support Startups of the Week and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.